to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 13 and 14 and the last time the message was titled hope through it all and I actually mentioned I I love archaeology because archaeology always confirms the Bible history confirms the Bible and the more somebody goes out into these remote areas puts a shovel in the ground and brushes off the the product that they find they usually are confirming things that are said in the scripture. So two things that I mentioned um, last time that I actually dug up and I wanted to go through was, is in archaeology, there was two relief carvings. You know, the ancients, they didn't have computers, so they did many things to record what was going on at the time. And the first one, um, you have this both in the I think that's cuneiform, the writing. Uh, you had this in the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires. And look at the detail of those relief carvings. I'm sure if you saw it in person, I mean, a lot of these things are in museums. You would see even the, the, the hem of the border of the robes, the, the fine. I mean, this takes you in there with a the, the chisel and a hammer. It just takes a long time to do that. But remember Ezekiel spoke about the, uh, the exiles, right, with the soldiers, you know, hurting them. And the sacks that they provided, that's exactly the way Ezekiel describes it in his historical work. So let's jump to the next one. The other one I mentioned was the sack of of, uh, Jerusalem by the Roman soldiers under Titus. And as you can see, uh, the soldiers, because there was a lot of precious metals in the temple, and they took a lot of the artifacts because they were valuable. Remember the candelabra? Um, I think they were wrong on two of the branches, but... Uh, you can see the soldiers, you know, it was a terrible time, but it, it also recorded that historical record. So I just wanted to throw that out there because, you know, our audience has increased since we've gone to live stream and some people are skeptical. They are agnostic. So I know for you, you already believe most of you, but for others, you know, I'm trying to show them the truth of everything that God says in his word. So we use a lot of different things to that. Uh, the message today is titled, What Do You Seek? As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, Jesus, John chapter 1 is early on in the ministry. Jesus is already assembling a following, and Jesus turns to them and says, What do you seek? You know, a good therapist will ask you questions about yourself that you're supposed to answer. So Jesus is trying to. All these people were like throngs, thousands of people follow Jesus, but they followed him for different reasons. What Jesus wanted them to make sure was that they were following him for the truth, getting closer to God, not little things here and there that are just provided in this life. And we're going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in with 13, chapter 13, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me. So the Lord is coming to Ezekiel again. He says, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. 
you have gone up into the gaps. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They've envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that the word may be confirmed, their prophecies, right, may come true. Have you not seen a futile vision, and have you not spoken false divination? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Remember, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. Therefore, says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. So one of the ways that God proves that A, he exists, and B, that those that he sends are actually from him, is that he speaks prophecies. This is going to happen. And when it happens, this goes on for a long time. People are like, well, it can only be from God. How can anybody know the future like that? Verse 10, because indeed they have seduced my people, saying peace when there is no peace, right? There's an impending invasion of the Babylonians in Jerusalem. And one builds a boundary wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding rain and you, O great hailstone, shall fall and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, where's the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones and fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Remember, he's speaking to these false leaders who are leading the people astray. Very important to understand. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who sees visions of peace for her when there is no peace says the Lord God. So one out of four is judgment on the false prophets. Now I'm going to use the term false prophet and false teacher interchangeably. And we're going to see that today, 2,600 years later, there are still are false teachers and false prophets. Prophecy uh, fits into the subset of teaching because you're teaching the existence of God and the veracity of God and who he uses. So false prophets, false teachers. Verse 2, he says, these false prophets prophesy out of their own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God. So the heart, our own hearts can be unreliable. So God is saying about these, these leaders that your prophecies are not from me, It's from your own spirit, not my spirit, and you see nothing. I love how blunt God can be with people who are leading people astray, right? Verse 4, these false prophets are like foxes in the desert, can also be translated jackals in the desert, and basically... Uh, when you look at these animals and what they do, they're opportunists. Now, they're animals, so it's not that they're bad. These are just metaphors. But they go into the desert, and there's already ruins, and there's already um, things that just don't look great. But they make burrows for themselves. They'll destroy uh, 
artifacts and monuments, and they're very um, crafty little creatures. But what he, they're okay, okay, I'm an animal lover here. But what he's doing is he's making, a, he's making an analogy, a metaphor. So these false teachers took opportunity of a bad situation. Verse 5, he said, you've not gone into the gaps to build the wall for battle, meaning a spiritual wall. So what happens is now we're seeing the metaphors change. I love this. So we went from, um, from the animals to the wall uh, metaphor, and he's basically saying they have no skin in the game. They're opportunists. And, you know, this happens in churches today. People will come into a church with the idea of taking advantage of someone. Oh, those Christians are nice people. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's otherwise. And I've seen it. They come in. They try to get something. um, They get exposed. um, And they eventually leave. But when something really needs to be done or there's some serious action that needs to be taken, they're nowhere to be found because they're opportunists. All they do is do things to help themselves. So nothing's really changed there. More on the wall metaphor, verse 10. He said, they, using this metaphor, they build a wall and plaster it with untempered mortar can also be translated whitewash. Now, years ago, I did a little bit of everything in life. Um, When I was really young, I was on a crew of of guys and we, we built homes. Right. So I I understood electric plumbing, you know, uh, framing, all that stuff, uh, concrete work. Uh, But we so fast forward, my wife and I were looking for a house like 20 something years ago. And we saw this house. I'm not going to say where. I don't think it's anybody's house here today. But the the edifice, the uh, supporting wall, the major wall, it was huge. It was beautiful. It was this red brick. But all the mortar had been coming out of it. And uh, I guess they had engineers come in and they actually put like these steel bars on the outside, almost like a spine to hold the wall up. And on a beautiful sunny day, it looked great. But knowing what I know, I said, Heather, as beautiful as the house is, we're not buying it, you know, (laughs) because all we need is a good flood or a good storm. And that you're going to see more of the water, uh, mortar crumble out. So whether you're using untempered mortar, bad mortar, right, you know, or you try to just whitewash it, and I've seen that too. The, the thing looks really bad, and, and structurally it looks terrible, and, and, oh, let's put a coat of paint on it. But that, that hides the, the problems that you're not seeing. You're making it look pretty, a whitewash. So what he's saying is that if we're looking at a spiritual wall for the Israelites, these false prophets, again, they do as little as they can. They're just out for themselves. They're whitewashed or they're, you know, he talked about, Jesus talked about the religious leaders being whitewashed tombs. So these are not good metaphors. Jesus even spoke about building our house, our spiritual house on the rock and not the the sand. Now, the storm and the flood that the Lord was most likely referring to was the coming Babylonian invasion. That was the thing that was going to test the wall and the wall was going to start to crumble because it wasn't built right. So there's a lot of repetition. I'm kind of taking this almost topically except for certain verses because there's a lot of repetition and there's reasons for that. And it was mostly germane to the culture at the time. All right. But verses six through eight, he says, this is interesting. False prophets, even today, they hope what they say comes true. So they could say, aha, I'm from God. And some of them may come true, but we're going to cover that in Deuteronomy 18 in a a bit. How many of you remember, and I'm not here to 
tear the guy apart. I know he, he passed away, but remember uh, Harold Camping with his false... How many people remember that? He said Jesus is going to come back in 2011. Then when he didn't, he tweaked the prophecy. And then he said, he said all these things and none of his prophecies came true. Um, but it's interesting because he hoped that it was going to come true and it didn't. They speak nonsense. They speak lies, gibberish. You know, I showed a video several months ago of what some considered a church you know, the new apostolic reformation, Bill Johnson, people are laying on the floor convulsing, hitting their head against the concrete. They're squealing and screaming. It's just weird, right? And well, I'm a prophet of God. Really? Well, what's God telling us through this, this show? And I remember playing it. Some of you were a little aghast, like you've never seen that before. So there's some weird stuff that even goes on today um, in the name of God, but it's not of God. You have to test these things right? Verse 10, he said, they seduced my people. Sadly enough, God's people can be fooled. They can be fooled. And it depends on, you know, when a person seeks a church or a religion or a teacher, what are they seeking? As Jesus said, what do you seek? Do you want me to just do miracles for you? Do you want me to provide food out of nothing? Or do you really want to know how to get closer to God? So some seek the things, uh, sort of quasi-spiritual things, but they really don't want a relationship with God. And then he said, now remember, any minute the Babylonians were going to break through the wall and the false teachers were saying, they say peace when there is no peace. Jesus said that there would be a false peace. He said that I give you peace, but not as the world gives you peace. It's a totally different type of peace. The world's peace is, is good for nothing. It's only good in good times. Um, but Jesus' peace gives us a peace throughout bad surroundings and circumstances. First Thessalonians 5, he says, when they say peace and safety, this is a future time in the global economic stage, right? That there'll be sudden destruction. But again... The Antichrist to come will tell people what they want to hear, just like these false teachers. Right? And in our culture today, we're being, we're being culled, um, we're being groomed into only receiving teachings that make us feel good. So if you have a truth and you share it with me, that if I don't like the way it sounds, even though it's the truth, I can squelch you, I can silence you. We're already being groomed for that you know, you just listen. You know, if it, if it sounds good, then it's a, it's a good truth. But it's not a truth. It's not based on facts. Let's read uh, Deuteronomy 18. And there's three verses here that I want to cover in Deuteronomy 18. This was the litmus test to whether he's a true teacher or a true prophet. He or she, women would embody this role too, or a false one. In verse 20, he says, but the prophet who presumes, remember, is a presumption here. Is it true or is it not true? To speak a word in my name, God speaking, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Pretty strong uh, test in the Old Testament. Verse 21, and if you say in your heart, and so the people's response is, well, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken. You know, we, God, we don't want to follow somebody if they're wrong. 
22, he says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. You shall not respect him. You shall not follow him. And basically what God is saying is if they're one of my prophets, they will be correct 100% of the time. Not 99.9, not 99.99, 100%. The first time someone utters a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, stop following them. However, in the Christian culture, and I've seen this, people will follow somebody who makes false prophecies, but he ministers to me. You ever hear that? Listen, I like to be ministered too, but then there's times that you got to get the hard truth. They both have to go together. And there's, there's some today who follow men and women who have made false prophecies. So we're done with the men. Now let's go with the women, right? Verse 17, it says, Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart. Prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? Therefore, says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic charms by which you hunt souls there like birds. I will tear them from your arms and let the souls go. It's kind of a picture of someone who traps birds, right? This is a metaphor. And God is going to free that bird from captivity. The souls you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand. And they shall no longer be as prey in your hand. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hand of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. Isn't that amazing? Warning and truth is love. God even is concerned by the wicked. Let me just go back to, uh, I know I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, but he embodied a lot of these, these concepts. So just before Harold Camping died, he actually went publicly and, and he repented. He, uh, do you remember that? I know you're, you follow a lot of this stuff. Um, he went on TV and he said, I was wrong. He said, I led people astray. Now, God knows where he is. I don't. But it seemed to me like the, he, was, he was a broken and disheveled shell of a man um, at the end. And he did repent for leading people astray. I'd like to believe it was genuine. Because God does allow people to repent. So he's even saying that these people can turn. But when you keep fostering this stuff and you keep um, encouraging it, it, even the wicked can't repent because they're just too comfortable. This could have been written yesterday. Last one. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So two out of four is the judgment on the prophetesses. Right? Prophet, male, prophetess, female prophet. This is the false prophet version of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. (laughs) So, in verse 18. So they had these magic charms. There's a lot of sensuality and spirituality. There's knowing God, having a relationship, and then there's 
extraneous things where you don't, they don't really want you to get close to God, but you, they want you to have a feeling of sensuality or spirituality. So they would sew these pretty things on their sleeves and make these pretty veils for different people of different heights. Um, and they were an inf- a fashionable enticement to bring witchcraft into the people of God. Right. And, and I say this word, I stress it overly liturgical. Some people, they like liturgy and then that's fine. There's the word of God there. That's good. But this was an overly extreme liturgical ambiance, um, experiential. And you see this in some of the seeker churches today. They focus instead of on a relationship with God or the word of God, they focus on relics, charms, candles, incense, items have to be elevated. This is what Jesus spoke about in the Laodicean church in early chapters of Revelation. This is the sensual, experiential church, church that's alive today. But nothing's changed in thousands of years. Satan will use many things to try to get us to uh, pull us away from God. And some of them are experiential things, right? And again, experiences can be good, but not when it's pulling people away from God. So in the same verse, God uses, he says that they, these women hunt souls. And whose souls do they hunt? The souls of other women. We're going to jump into this a little bit more. Um, this is, a, again, a hunting metaphor. And, and the picture is of that metaphorically they were trapping little innocent defenseless birds and, and caging them and, and using them for their own uh, pleasure, right? Uh, so this was something where it was an appeal from women to women based on sensuality and feelings. Let me, let me say this to you. Not everyone who's out there today who says that they're pro-women are actually pro-women. In the strictest sense of the term, if we want to look at this spiritually, I am actually more of a feminist than some of these groups. I did a little study on the sexual revolution, and there was a lot of aspects to it of the 1960s. And after this sexual revolution, pornography exploded. Pornography today is a multi-billion dollar industry. It hurts both men and women. It damages, and I've done studies on this, it damages the brains of men to only look at women as sexual objects. This was also the period where all the perverts in Hollywood started getting women to take their clothes off either on the screen or on the couch, one or the other, in order to get apart. Listen, I'm going to go there. These people exploited women. So now women who want to be looked at for what they can do, for their minds, for their personalities, now have to fight a culture that has objectified women. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Harvey Weinstein finally got arrested, but he was doing this stuff for decades, and there's still people in Hollywood doing the same thing. Why? Because of some aspects of the of the sexual revolution. And there's a lot more that I can talk about here. You know, women... I've had women come to me privately, not on social media, and say, I've been hurt by, by women more than anybody else. And that's sad. You look at just Lane Maxwell, who's now um, going to be going on trial for uh, her role with Jeffrey Epstein, the sex trafficker. He used her as a, a mother-type figure to get these young girls to feel comfortable with Ghislaine uh, Maxwell. If I'm saying her name right, I don't really care. I hope she goes to jail for a long time. So here is an older woman who was able to groom young ladies for this creep. And then once they were on the island, they couldn't get off. 
So that's my, I'm a little passionate about this because there's just a lot of things out there. People lie all the time. Oh, I'm for women. We'll prove it. What have you done? What's your record? Right? So these women, it's the same thing. They were women. They were women um, capitalizing on other women. They were taking advantage of them. God's word is not politically correct. The men did it over here and the women did it over here. So... Verse 19, you know, God is telling Ezekiel, not only did they do this horrible practice, but they sold out fellow women for handfuls of barley or a piece of bread. Man, if you're going to sell your soul to the devil, eh, it's just, you know, in the Great Depression, there were uh, fortune tellers who also took advantage of people who were suffering. They were hungry. They didn't know if their jobs would come back. And they would just take a few bucks, these fortune tellers, and tell the people what they wanted to hear didn't matter whether it came true or not. And we see it today. There's fortune tellers everywhere. But they were opportunists. Verse 20 through 21, God says that he would um, tear the magic charms from their arms and tear off their veils. And he didn't physically do that, but he used the Babylonians to judge the false teachers, both men and women. I want to read to you in Warren Wiersbe's book, Be Reverent. Because, folks, we have to inoculate ourselves from some of this stuff that's going on in our culture. He says this, and he wrote this a long time ago. On page 73, he said, Popularity is not a test of truth. History shows that those who spoke the truth were usually rejected by the majority and persecuted and even killed. Jesus uses the same image of a storm to warn us about false prophets. It's easy for people to say, Lord, Lord. Oh, thus says the Lord. The Holy Spirit told me, you know, God told me. But it's not easy to walk the narrow road and confront the crowd that's going in the opposite direction. We're seeing this in big media, big tech. We're seeing this on social media. They're trying to get us to, and you see this. In 2020 and 2021, it's almost like it was 100 years ago. How do people feel about COVID? How do people feel about the police? How do and what happens is it's like a switch. You're supposed to feel this way one day, and a year later, you can feel the opposite way, and then they're going to flip you back again. And what it's designed is to get us to, to not be sure of our, ourselves. What we have to do is we have to go back to the scripture. What does the scripture say? Because a lot of the Christian culture is caught up in, you know, there, some people, like, they're taking a stand on social media. Wow, but you didn't take that stand last year. Now the culture says you can take the stand, so you think you're, you're uh, avant-garde or on the edge, but you're really not. You're really a puppet, you know? Christians used to be okay with being in the minority, Right? The whole culture was going in the wrong direction. And Christians had that minority thought. And they took a lot of abuse for it. Today, I see a lot in the Christian culture just going with what everybody else is saying. So how, do, how are we any different than this culture? There's a lot to this. There really is. I don't think much has changed. Verse 19 and 22. The culture and the leadership discourage the righteous. And God says, you're discouraging the righteous, which I have not done. And you're encouraging wickedness. And this is what decadent cultures do. They make people with strong convictions about God feel ostracized. And they, everyone else gets, you know, celebrated. So I'll just leave you with this is that I've met a lot of people who actually want to be deceived. 
And there's not much you can do with that. There are some that, in the shallowness of our culture, they just want to be told by others that they're beautiful, they're handsome, they're smart, they're wonderful, even if the person doesn't mean it. It just feels good to hear it. That's not what I want, you know? If I do something wrong or I want people to be honest with me so I can change that, you know what I'm saying? So continuing on, verse uh, chapter 14. These go together. It says, now some of the elders of Israel came to me, to Ezekiel, and they sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. Isn't that amazing? So these guys, now we're in Babylon. The elders come. They came frequently. Some of them were really good people. Some of them were not. And God was able to pick that out and say, you know, those 12 guys over there, I know they're saying, oh, what does the Lord say for us? They're not genuine. I can see their hearts. They set up idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I, he's asking Ezekiel, should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Should I even bother engaging them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart. This was a good thing. He's he's trying to compete with this false message that's getting out. He loves them. He wants them, their heart to come back to him because they've been deceived. Because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, turn your faces away from all your abominations for anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble in iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him. By myself, I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. After this invasion of the Babylonians in 586 BC, the Lord did an incredible house cleaning. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God says the Lord God. So three out of four is the idolatry of the elders. Um, Why do people pretend to be godly people, right? This is, you could look at charlatan, pretentious clergy. Maybe they're looking for power. Maybe they're looking for attention. Maybe they have really nefarious reasons. Maybe they didn't make it in the secular world. So they figure, well, let me try it in the ecclesiastic world, right? This is why folks including me, you should not follow a man or a woman. I don't care what their title, I don't care what their vestments, we are just human beings. You have to go to Jesus. Wow, everybody's awake. No, that's, that's great. You know, you people are well taught. You're well fed spiritually. You have Bibles in front of you. If I start saying some wacky things next Sunday... You guys are all going to be looking at each other saying, that's not Pastor Joe. What's going on? 
you're smart enough, you're educated enough, you're built up enough in the word of God to reject me and say to my other two pastors, he's got to go. Right? So I'm telling you that you cannot follow a man or a woman. We're just here to teach and to help you, to get you closer to the Lord. We can do a lot of things, but we're not your savior. We can't absolve you of sins. Only he can. And that's right there in scripture. So verses four to five, God's answer to them. I want to pick up on just two verses here. Verse nine, he says, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet. That's an interesting Hebrew word that can also mean deceived. So, and I will write verse eight. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. God will expose these people eventually. You know, there are some in the YouTube and and you you can find, you you can throw a pebble and find a teaching. You can find a hundred teachings, throwing a pebble, you know, they're just everywhere. But some of the more famous ones, they've showed their hands so many times that they almost become, I have to laugh, Facebook memes. I don't want to say who, but there's some of these preachers who are Facebook memes. They're a joke. The Babylon Bee has made fun of them because the, the true church has figured out that person doesn't speak the truth. They just say what you want to hear. Yeah, they write books, whoop de doo but they're not telling the truth. Now, going back to camping and false, specifically false prophets, um, he kept changing his dates. And he, at some point, he was so far from God that he said, I will deceive that person. So the false prophet gets caught up in more deception, right? We read about the, in the Old Testament, the lying spirit that the Lord sent. Because they're so far gone, they've totally mocked the things of God that God just lets them continue to be deceived. He kind of removes the protection from them. And then, and then they have to be humiliated, right? Some, unfortunately, go to the grave, and then God deals with them because they didn't, it didn't happen here. So verse 10, very important. We see that God is just as upset with the seeker of false things as he is with the teacher. Now, this to me is stark. It, it kind of is a, a splash of cold water in my face in the sense that if you're seeking things, you're not seeking the truth. You're, and people do this. They'll come to a church, and in their mind, they're not even being objective. They've decided what they want in a church, and none of it has to do with God. Well, I want to meet some nice people. Yeah, I'd like to get married maybe to a nice girl. Well, maybe, like, they have all these ridiculous reasons. Everything but I want to get closer to God. I want to understand God. Right? So God holds the seeker in this verse just as accountable as the, as the false teacher. So there's false teachers and false seekers. Jesus said, not many find that narrow road that leads to everlasting life. So pretty heavy stuff here. Verse 12, last few verses. He says, the word of the Lord came again to me saying, son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread and send famine on it. This is specifically relating to Jerusalem at the time and cut off men and beasts from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel and Job were in it, were in Jerusalem at the time. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts, 
even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. Only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword, this kind of goes back to the earlier chapters of Ezekiel. If I bring a sword on that land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more shall it be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine, wild beasts and pestilence, which we had covered before, to cut off man and beast from it. Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant, keep hearing about the remnant, who will be brought out, both sons and daughters, they'll be saved, they'll be spared, it's going to be wonderful, because they're the remnant. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see by their ways and their doings. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I've brought upon Jerusalem, indeed all that I have brought upon it, and they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it, says the Lord God. So even in judgment, the Lord is righteous. Our ways are in his ways. If something confuses us or bothers us, we need to take it to prayer. And maybe some things we may not know until we're in his presence. Remember, we're still, unfortunately, our thinking processes can be marred by experiences, by sin, by the culture. So we're not always going to understand everything about God. When we're perfected and we're in his presence, I believe our understanding will increase exponentially. So four out of four Jerusalem to be destroyed. We know this from history. Um, He mentions, God mentions the name of Noah, who had already passed away years ago. Daniel, who was still alive. And Job, who had also, you know, Job and Noah lived a long time prior. But these were three saints that were held in high esteem because of their faith. They were a power trio, as I like to call them. So let me build up who they are and then tell you why they couldn't save Jerusalem, right? So number one, they were influential and evangelistic. They loved people. They um, influenced people for God. Two, so they tried to save many. They could only save few. Now, when I say save, no man, remember, let's go back to that. No man or woman saves us from our sins, only Jesus but they saved um, in, in, in the sense that they shared the truth of God and they encouraged them to seek God. And then they did and they got saved. So they were sort of a, they kind of facilitated it, but they didn't do it directly. It's important that I say that. Three, they were esteemed by God because of their faith. Four, all three had major trials. Noah had the flood, big trial. Daniel had the lion's den. And Job had Satan's affliction. But even with this powerhouse of faith trio, they could only save themselves. This is the power. It is amazing. God gave us power, you know, of self-determinism. We choose whether we're going to spend eternity with him or not. Jesus provided the way, but we choose which road we're going to be on. It's pretty amazing. We have such power in, in our free will. But even Jesus said in, in Luke 16, which uh, Elder Bob covered on a Wednesday night, that when this specific uh, wicked rich, rich man was in Hades, he 
hated it there, obviously. He was being judged for his evil that he had on the earth. He wanted um, Lazarus to go back or somebody to go back and tell his brothers who were still alive, you need to repent. You don't want to end up here. And I believe it was Abraham that said that if someone, or well, Jesus, of course, tells the story. If, even if someone would rise from the dead, your brothers wouldn't believe. Now, what Jesus was doing was he was telegraphing that he was going to rise from the dead and that many would not be moved by it. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So even the resurrection, even the miracles, some were not moved by it. The point that as we close is that everyone stands or falls in front of God on their own. Good men and women can only deliver the message. They can't deliver the soul from judgment. The righteous is, could be, and should be salt and influence to a rotting culture. And the people of God, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, all were lived in times where the culture became decadent. And 2021 is no different. But only that person, only every individual has the power to determine where they end up where they, when they die. And if you're not convinced that today and you're physically here or you're watching on the live stream, you need to investigate this. Usually I say this at funerals because I have everybody's attention. And it's not because I'm being an opportunist. It's because, it's because we are so mesmerized with, listen, I wake up every day. I've been doing it for 53 years. Isn't that amazing? One day I'm not going to wake up or I'm not going to make it to bed. That's just 53. I don't have that many years left, but seriously, I'm guilty too. I wake up every day. I make plans. What am I going to do today? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next year? As if I'm going to be here, like I know I'm going to be here. I don't know that. So we get caught in the, in the mesmerization of the monotonous of life. But one day we're all going to perish. Going back to the remnant, verse 22 and 23. There's there's a lot of sorrow in a lot of these early chapters. So I believe God always sprinkles it with this hope. Who's the remnant? You believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins? You're the remnant in this culture. You've trusted Jesus for your salvation, that he's paid the price for your sins? You're the remnant. Be the remnant. In heaven, we will be in, in the company, a great company of many remnant groups for many time eras. So going back to Jesus's questions in John chapter one and with some of the seekers here in Ezekiel's time and the seekers in Jesus's time, Jesus said to them, what do you seek? If you're having a hard time, you're probably going to want some relief here. I get that. I want relief when I'm having a hard time too. But that cannot be the only thing we seek. We need to be seeking what happens to us when we die and where we spend eternity. And that can only be found through Christ. So I asked the same question that Jesus asked. I also asked the same question that some of the, the, uh, the leaders of in Ezekiel's time asked about those seekers. What do you seek? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.